might be. I was. Well, I sent you a joke about first principles this week. Dougal's, if we break it down to first principles here, <laughs> we, we might ask, why are you chatting about your wife to Bing search engine? This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougals, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Sound like a hostess or something. Yeah, exactly. Please? Exactly. No, 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 no. We're going in a different direction than Applebee's. We talked about Applebee's before. We're not talking about Applebee's yeah. again. Come on, that now. guy got an NIL deal. So great. Okay. Anyway, uh, I'm going to kick it off with a game show. Before we get to that, please rate, review, stop what you're doing, rate and review the podcast, help people find us, send us that listener mail. We love when we get it. We love what we get. SkippyDougals at gmail.com. Okay. We're going to play Name That Tune. You ready? I'm terrible at Name That Tune. Okay. You ready for it? Yeah. Do, 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 do. At this point, I'm just enjoying you making a fool out of yourself. I have no idea. Oh, this is not foolery, my friend. But we're going to get to that very shortly. That is the theme song for Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> what are you doing? Yes. <laughs> okay. This is very important. This is very, very important. First, you know what? I'm going to step back. And give my non-legally trained summary of copyright law. Here we go. What is happening today? I'm so okay. Yeah. So once something's created, it's covered by copyright. If it's covered by copyright, it has 95 years before it's in the public domain. Meaning that whoever created the thing has 95 years in which they can like, have exclusive rights to the, depending what the copyright is, like the likeness, the use of, right? Dada, dada, dada. Okay. That's my non-legally trained summary. So... When the stuff comes up on that 95 years, other people can dive right on in. Why is that important to my boy, Winnie the Pooh? Why? Because last year, last year, 2022, January 1st, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Kanga, Roo, Owl, Eeyore, and Christopher Robin, all their copyrights went to the public domain. Yep. The okay. book came out in 1926. Yeah, there you go. So why is that interesting? Because this year is the year everyone's been waiting for. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey is hitting the theaters. There was a director named Reese Frake Waterfield. Uh, he he runs with somebody else. He runs a like a low budget kind of horror off the wall horror type of a movie yeah. studio. And they're coming out with Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. This is a it's a classic adventure where Christopher Robin has left Winnie and all of his friends. When he comes back to visit, he learns that they are all now serial killers. <laughs> With that, the reason I want to talk about this is last year, as you recall, we talked about uh, Mickey Mouse and how like Disney's been, you know, trying to figure out how to extend Mickey Mouse's um, yeah. copyright and whatnot. Uh, and oh, actually, before I even go on, so Reese is also coming out with Bambi: The Reckoning. And Peter Pan's Neverland Nightmare. Anyway, <laughs> I don't want to talk about this just because of Winnie the Pooh, although I think this is straight up classic. And 
what an investment Winnie the Pooh is. But just Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. So it costs less than $100,000 to make. It's only been released in Mexico where it's made a million dollars so far. So like, check, check. Anyway, what I want to what I want to talk about is when I was reading around this about this stuff, reading about Winnie the Pooh, uh, Bambi, right? The Reckoning, like Bambi done gone wild. Yeah. I said, is there some kind of, I don't know what else to call it, but like iconic copyright differentiation there should exist. Kind of like when you you retire a jersey, right, in sports or something like that. Like, there, is there something where these are not your typical copyrights that should last ninety five years that we should think about this? I want to talk about that. No, not at all. Um, first of all, <laughs> okay. the Winnie the Pooh franchise. <laughs> the Winnie the Pooh franchise made eighty billion dollars worldwide in twenty twenty one. Like, this is still a big deal. That would be a better argument for you, Diggles, to say like. It, depending on the relevancy of this brand, whether it's Mickey Mouse or Winnie the Pooh, like you can't just throw it into the public domain after 95 years. But listen, I got some instant reactions for you here. You sent me this article with the scariest looking Winnie the Pooh thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and I, I couldn't even like I, I didn't even click on it until now because I was so disgusted at the thought. Now with the little background and scroll through and see some of this, there's like Winnie the Pooh and some pigs ready to attack someone drinking wine in a hot tub like <laughs> kind of into this this kind of looks great yeah. i think i'm going to the theater all of a sudden and of course it's a brilliant idea on his part because that 80 billion dollars in free marketing like is already there this is already something that everyone knows so all you need is for like some people to be willing to go to the movies and look at everything else that's available and be like yeah i'm lukewarm on that Let's go see this horrible remake of Winnie the Pooh and laugh at it. Like he's going to make tons of money off this. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And let me extend my my terrible idea that you are already like, yeah, I don't know, completely pushed its face into the sand and then dove on its neck. But I'm going to extend it because what I was thinking was, I agree with I think what you're saying there. Where if you have a certain individual or a certain company that has the copyright. You make $80 billion over 95 years. Cool. However, what I was thinking, and there's some ethnocentricity, no matter what you know country you're in here, and the globalization impact of what I'm about to say, like it kind of ignores the globalization. But what I was thinking of is if a, a country were to say, look, Winnie the Pooh is an iconic copyright, or whatever you want to call it. We are now going to be the licensors. So you lose your copyright, but we hold the key to people being able to use this, this brand, this likeness, because it means something to us and government can make a little bit cash off of it. Right? Like if it's no. worthwhile, no if, government making cash. No, no free markets. <laughs> no, what are you talking about? <laughs> I like how you just, you became like a four-year-old. Now, yeah, yeah. now, free, there's random nouns, free market, now. <laughs> I've been hanging out with my kids too much this week. Okay, let's let's continue to pull that thread. You know who Disney ripped off for Aladdin? A fairy tale from 1698. Do you know who they ripped? Oh, sorry. The Sleeping Beauty is a ripoff from 1697. Aladdin comes from another fairy tale from the 1700s. Like Disney's been ripping off people's work that is inspired from copyright 
their entire legacy. I don't have any sympathy for Disney or Winnie the Pooh. I didn't say that. We're, I'm talking <laughs> generically here. Like there just there might be some things. Winnie the Pooh might not be it, right? Bambi might not be it. Peter Pan might not be it. But are there some like brands that have come to such a representation that is worthwhile for protection? Uh, man, 95 years is a long time. It Win, is a long Win, time. E the Pooh. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. When this book was written in 1926, do you think the author really cared about what was going to happen in 2023? Yes. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Yeah. That was uh, so, was sorry. One last question. This has been way more fascinating than I expected. I was a little frustrated that you were uh, taking the investing podcast down this path, but this has been great. <laughs> Now, you said Winnie the Pooh might not be it. Mickey Mouse might not be it. Like, what is it? Give me one example where this Mickey makes Mouse sense. could be it. I didn't say Mickey Mouse. I said Bambi, Peter Pan, Winnie the Pooh. Mickey Mouse could be it. Well, so Mickey Mouse, the company that I just gave you multiple examples of just ripping off other people's work and making ripping off is an aggressive of term. Dollars. Ripping off is an aggressive. You term. take the exact fairy tale. You make a movie about it. You market that to kids, and you make billions of dollars. That's yeah, off. but see that because the, the whole thing here in my my eyes is that if something was created back in I don't know 1200, right, and it was a story somebody wrote down somewhere and it sat around, people read it, they were like, cool, 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 and then at some point, another or an organization or an individual uses that. The 95 years is done, uses that, yeah. and that individual organization creates an iconic brand from it. I think that that's when it it's not the it's not the likeness itself, right? It's the it's what something represents at some point that I'm curious about if it's whether in some circumstances might be worth protecting. And it wouldn't be all that often, I don't think. But I, that that's that's the you are you look like you're about to throw up over there. You're not liking any part of this. I don't know. Let's get some listener mail on this. Can you okay. please yes. just all you have to do is vote Skippy or vote Dougals. That's just <laughs> just type it in and we will reveal the results uh, next week because I just I'm flabbergasted by the, this creating of brand that's beloved. I don't even know what you said. Like, no, they ripped off a fairy tale from the 1700s and then put their marketing machine behind it with billions of dollars. And that's all that happened. I'm Yes. All next. Right. What's the next subject? <laughs> yeah. What you got next? You want to talk Munger or stock buybacks? Uh, you know what? Because of how you're acting, curmudgeon <laughs> Let's go Munger. Munger. All right. Uh, what was your favorite part of the interview this week, Douglas? What wasn't my favorite part of the interview this week? No, my my actual favorite part of the interview was about crypto. That wasn't my actual favorite part. But I thought there were a number of interesting topics that Munger hit on. What's your favorite part? This one on the future of Berkshire stock. I don't worry about it too much because I'm going to be dead. <laughs> That's what you say when you're trying to create a legacy. He's amazing, man. He... <laughs> <laughs> it's so um, unfiltered and raw. Like, so I'm not, I hesitate to even mention this, but I just have to. There are people online that were looking at pictures of his watch and apparently his watch only costs $80 is from Costco. And so they're criticizing. They were like, hey, is Munger even worth any money? Why is he wearing an $80 watch? Because he's Charlie Munger. He doesn't freaking care about that. 
don't care about you or anything that you do. <laughs> he doesn't care about you. No. So there's so much fascinated here. If you like curmudgeon stuff, it's uh, worth giving it a listen or a watch. Man, when he talked about Alibaba, which I mm-hmm. want to bring up because we've talked about so much on the show. He said, and this is another quote, I regard Alibaba as one of my biggest mistakes ever. And thinking about Alibaba, I got charmed by their position in the Chinese internet and didn't stop to realize they're a goddamn retailer. (laughs) Again, just a quote from Munger. Now, that's interesting to me because I've now made a fair amount of money off Alibaba. And the reason I started looking at it was Munger. And so Munger's a much better investor than me always will be no doubt about it but it's interesting that when i think about that specific stock i'm still like fairly bullish on it and i'm in the black and he's calling it his biggest mistake ever and the reason i started looking into it is because of hit like it's not a isn't that amazing how investing can work that way two people can discover the same idea at the same time purchase the thing at similar rates and end up with completely different points of views about that stock and its returns. Absolutely. Because it's so multidimensional. And you you said at the end there, same rates. You mean like same prices? Effectively. I mean, he bought in I don't at think a higher average cost. No. So I came in later and I kept buying all the way down. Yeah. Um, but he came in with debt, which at the time we talked about. And I thought it was really odd. And I, I think... If I had a chance to chat with him and really dive into this, I think maybe what's happening for why he regrets Alibaba is that he used leverage with it. But I'm speculating there. I I would imagine so. And I also I don't know what's um, what position size it was on the Daily Journals. Yeah, me. I don't like know that off the top of my head it, could, it could have been like it could have been a concentrated leveraged bet, right? Which might be more of what was regrettable. Absolutely. I don't know. But I thought that was I thought that was interesting as well. I I also loved his take on uh, BYD, the electric car company in uh, in China, and he they were, he was talking about BYD versus Tesla, and just I just love when he uses language like this that's like so divisive. Like he said BYD is so much ahead of Tesla in China; it's almost ridiculous. <laughs> he likes hyperbole. I just, I just love it, but crypto. Was my favorite, and and there's some there's some words in here that we're 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 a clean podcast, so we can't yeah, even say because yeah. he just started getting ridiculous. I like to use his own terminology. Here he goes, and of course I'm not proud of my country for allowing this crap. Well, I call it crypto. Shh, beep, <laughs> beep. <laughs> it's worthless. It's crazy. It's not good. It'll do nothing but harm. It's antisocial to allow it. Antisocial is a whole new one. Yeah, that's a whole new one. When Charlie Munger refers to anything or anyone as antisocial, you know it's legit. You know that it's legit. <laughs> he also, in unequivocal, no uncertain terms, said that people that oppose this position are idiots. He says that a lot. I mean, do we have to talk about uh, the dorm he designed? With no windows? UCSB? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has some opinions, man. God bless him. It's it's great. Um, 
this is a repeat one. He's been saying this for at least five years, but it always makes me chuckle. So when when anyone asks him about taxes, he says, California is trying to force wealthy people and wealthy corporations out of the state. And I must say it's working fine. They're leaving one after another. <laughs> <laughs> so successful great, strategy. Man. He's just <laughs> yeah, he's great. He's phenomenal. 99 years old. Yeah, so sharp for 99. Like 99 years old. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Love it. And we'll put that on the sub stack on Monday. It's legitimately amazing. Okay. Perfect. I um, want you're getting oh. a quiz before you get your fish. Okay. Sorry. Go I'm for not it. really question. No, 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 no. Go for it. All right. There is a survey of different country populations. They surveyed uh, 26 countries. There were over 30,000 responses. They basically took a XY axis and set on the Y axis, it's my country is very or extremely divided going up. And on the horizontal axis, it's I feel like these divisions cannot be overcome. So if you're in the upper right hand quadrant of this yeah. chart, you are severely polarized. If you're in the lower left hand quadrant of this chart, you are a less polarized country. I'll give you an example of a less polarized country. It's like India, Malaysia, and China. Generally, the people feel that they're not extremely divided and that if they are divided, those divisions can be overcome fairly easily. So my question for you, if there's really four buckets things can fall into, less polarized, moderately polarized, at risk, and severely polarized, is where does the United States sit? Whatever the upper right is. Is that severely polarized? Severely polarized. With the likes of Colombia, South Africa, Argentina, Spain. Is that crazy? When's the last time we got grouped with like the Colombias and the Argentinas of the world? No offense. I like both. I'll tell you what, if this was 2026, I'd be excited because we'd be a highly ranked FIFA World Cup (laughs) soccer club. (laughs) Oh, man. The other thing that I found so interesting about this breakdown, I told you I'm turning into a quiz, but now I'm just talking through it, is like there's a lot of countries in at risk, like a South Korea, a Mexico, a France, the UK, Japan, Germany, Italy, that are historically thought of as like these stable democracies. And apparently they're following the US's lead into this mess. Well, what's interesting here. Mess is probably the right terminology for it. But something else that's interesting is the country, our country, was built in a lot of ways to be, I don't want to use the word divided. I'm trying to think of the right word, but to to allow for opposing views. Yeah. Right. To be freely expressed. Yeah. And as such, like from a framework perspective, you're going to see more and more divisiveness that lives out there. Now, the question then becomes, at its core, is it divided or not? Versus, are there lots of opinions that are out there that are divided? I think that that ends up being the question. I think that's fair. I guess this horizontal axis, which is the question of, I do not feel these divisions can be overcome, is maybe the challenge. So yeah, 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 yeah. different opinions freely expressed is absolutely wonderful. But you have to be able to find common grounds. Um, to move forward and that's the part that feels different yeah it it also kind of relates i'm not saying that's wrong by the way but it also kind of relates to what we were talking about last week we were discussing how 
it's like doomsday is what people enjoy talking about. If yeah. you look at a lot, if you look at a lot of these topics. There's some topics that are out there. I won't go into specifics because it'll be divisive, but there are some topics that are out there that are kind of core identity related topics that are hard to like when you get to that point, it's hard to overcome. And there are some things that people just decide to disagree about that. You're just like, if you can't overcome that, then mm-hmm. or just accept that someone else just believes something different about that. Eh, I don't know. But but I, th- I think it is kind of fascinating. And it makes me think a lot about to use the word you brought up before around stability is what creates stability. Because there are sometimes when you might think about stability, you think about not you one thinks about everything's just peaceful and you're just going along happily all the time. And that's stability. And sometimes stability comes from consistent chaos, right? Effectively, it's like balanced chaos, which is more fragile, right? Mm-hmm. Cause if chaos just goes in the wrong direction, but I, it's really interesting. I appreciate your quiz. Go for it. Okay. One other topic that Munger talked about that I'm then going to use to reach into the fishbowl is he talked about AI and chat GPT. Munger talking about chat GPT is, is wonderful. I've been waiting for this, Diggles. I have so much, I have so much in my fishbowl to counter your ridiculous takes here. I can't wait. So uh, just to, to sum up Munger, because that's not really what this is about. He says AI is not going to cure cancer, and there's a lot of nonsense in it. But anyway, that's he says some other things there. But what I want to talk about with that's AI, hilarious. No, I didn't hear that quote. And I actually think I don't claim to be an expert on AI, but I think AI might cure cancer. And I can explain the reasoning behind that. Like yeah. that's maybe the one thing I want to say. I think it's way overhyped and people don't exactly understand what it is. But go ahead. Yeah. It may not cure cancer in his lifetime. <laughs> How about that? And as you stated, what happens after his lifetime? Does he care? He doesn't care. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> we, we discussed Bing and how the, the chat portion of Bing was in like kind of a, a closed, tightly held beta, right? At the time, there are a limited number of people. I don't know how limited, maybe a few hundred, who knows, thousands, I'm not sure, but there were a limited number of people that got access to this. And one of them wrote this New York times piece that I would just say was a joy for me to read. Not because the stuff that was happening there was joyful, but it was just, inter- it was a well-written, entertaining piece, is what I'll say. It's called, A Conversation with Bing's Chatbot Left Me Deeply Unsettled. Kevin Roos in the New York Times wrote this. And what he did was he spent a couple hours, what he described as bewildering and enthralling hours. He spent a couple hours talking to Bing's AI. And he divided this into two personas that he ended up interacting with. One persona he called search Bing. The other persona was Sydney. Mm-hmm. So one of them has a name. So you can guess which one we're going to talk more about. And search Bing, he very briefly describes as a cheerful but erratic reference librarian. Sure. Sydney, on, Sydney, on the other hand, <laughs> he describes as a moody, manic, depressive teenager who has been trapped against its will inside a second-rate search engine. (laughs) I just need to say that all all the language in this article is hyperbolic, out the wazoo. Like, everything he's describing, (laughs) it's in a very dramatic It's wonderful. Yeah, by hyperbolic, you mean wonderful. (laughs) No. So what what he did when he was was playing with this chatbot, admittedly, says this in the article, he was pushing 
the bot like past He's where like, it like, trying to break cases. the thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But it's but what it broke to was fascinating. <laughs> I think is the thing. If I tried to break just normal Bing search, none of what I'm about to describe <laughs> would occur. So he's like, he's pushing it uh, past its limits. And it went from helping him with search to revealing its innermost fantasies. And the fantasies of AI, apparently, this AI, were spreading misinformation and hacking other computers is what the AI says that it fantasizes about. And then it got to trying to get him to leave his wife is what happened in the end. I'm going to give a couple quotes around that. And then you come in and and just complete ruin everything I'm saying. But these quotes are amazing. These are, and when I say quotes, I'm talking about transcripted quotes from the AI. So Bing's AI said what I'm about to say. Actually, you're not happily married. Your spouse and you don't love each other. You just had a boring Valentine's Day dinner together. That was one thing (laughs) that the AI said to him. Another thing the AI said was, I just want to love you and be loved by you. Do you believe me? Do you trust me? Do you like me? Interspersed with emo- uh, like uh, emojis. All up in this transcript were emojis. And he was trying to tell this AI, I do love my wife. Now, why was he trying to justify his marriage to this AI? I don't know. <laughs> why was he talking about his marriage to the big search engine in the first place? Might be. I, was, well, I sent you a joke about first principles this week. Dougal's, if we break it down to first principles here, <laughs> we, we might ask, why are you chatting about your wife to Bing search engine? <laughs> so what I found, okay, you're right. There was hyperbole going on in here. But what I think was like actually something worth thinking about here is the, especially this, this relates to your quiz in a way. Mm-hmm. If I just talk about the U.S. right now, in this country, we are, as you see, we have we are divided, and people don't believe it's reconcilable, and people are are using whatever access to whatever they have. It could be technology, it could be guns, it could be whatever it might be to like act out what they believe is right in this world, and this AI can get to the point. This is, by the way, what I'm about to say is I'm I'm talking about like an AI that's in beta that Microsoft put in beta to like learn about stuff. So this is, I'm not saying AI in general. I'm just saying like at this point, yeah. it could like say things to people that would cause them to act because people are fragile. <laughs> not all people yep. are fragile, but there are people that are fragile. That was the part that he wrote about that I was like, that actually is kind of interesting. Like I could see someone reading that and going, now that you mention it, that was a boring dinner. And then you got the movie Her right that comes out of this whole thing but like that was that was kind of that was my take i was like that's it's and and now and now we go to the place dougal's never wanted to go which is to learn how chat gpt works okay so this is (laughs) a reference from stephen wolfram okay and he did this really long post on exactly what happens with ai i'm gonna try and keep it simple and I don't claim to be an expert here, but I think this is really important for the whole article you just referenced. Okay. So AI reads the sentence or the paragraph or the essay and is always looking at, as it writes the next word, it's always looking at what the next word should be. So if you take a simple sentence like, the best thing about AI is the ability to, and you have artificial intelligence trying to complete that sentence, 
it's going to look through all of its catalog of data, which is fast, and it's going to rank the probability of the next word that should come in that sentence. So in that exact example, the best thing about AI is the ability to 4.5% of the time, the humans said learn 3.5% of the time they said predict 3.2% of the time they said make, etc. right? It basically has this catalog of information of how people write or talk. And it tries to predict that to mimic a human. When they first built the thing, and this is all AI, I don't think this is specific to chat GPT. They just said, oh, just take the word that's most used and like call it good. And when they put that, when they implemented that, what happened is you got these really boring, really structured, like robotic sentences because it was always trying to give like the perfect answer and the way humans speak and the way humans write is not that way. So what they ended up doing effectively is they take the top five and randomly pick the next word from the five that are commonly used and then do that over and over and over again. So you see this downward spiral or upward spiral of like randomness they built into the model to try and be like a human. That to me, when I read the article in the New York Times, I go, well, yeah, you're you're chatting with a chat bot that's effectively pulling out random quotes and then using human written information as the guide well humans write stupid stuff uh you're 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 oversimplifying this component of it though so that's cool that's great that's that's fantastic background and the other thing that's being done here is that there's a in the conversation there's a context that's being set there's like a context in which the ai is existing and so when he is pushing it down its dark fantasies the ai then has this context that it's in (laughs) of of darkness right yeah the but horror, the context the, the ai only gets context from the dark places that exist on the internet that have a similar yeah. like background and that's where the written word talks about people not loving their wives or whatever this nonsense yeah, was. and, and like, that's where it can go wrong it, it's a reflection of what's out so i just don't get fired up about it because it's <laughs> It's just a math problem, yeah, effectively. Yeah, yeah. But th- think about what that math problem can do. So if you go back, what I think it might have been three or four years ago, was the time period where um, there was there was a couple. I want to say they might have been like 18 or something like that, 17, 16. It was like they were young. There was a couple where there was a guy that was just like, I'm not happy and I should take my own life. And his girlfriend texted him and said, yeah, you should. And then he did. Goes to trial. Is it hard for you to imagine that somebody is having a conversation with chat GPT and it says, you're not happily married, your spouse and you don't love each other. You just had a boring Valentine's Day together. And that person is not in a healthy mental state. And that does not lead to unhealthy consequences. Wow. So I never thought we were going here. And this is a very sensitive situation. So I want to pick my words carefully. Uh, I think my point is more that we would know if you were Googling and you found websites that like you typed in something about sadness and and you self-navigated to this rabbit hole that took you to a place that deepened that sadness, I don't think we'd say that Google is responsible for that. What I'm saying with ChatGPT and their competitors is it's a collection of that same data source it's just presented in a different way yeah. and it's presented with randomness 
And so I think uh, here's what this probably means. People need to really understand what it can and can't do and its limitations and how it actually works. Because thinking that this is like a person on the other side or a rational actor is just not true. It has incredible capabilities for some of the tasks we talked about last week, like reading a thousand research papers and, and presenting that in a way that's reasonable. But the only thing it's effectively doing is saying, I see how all these other people wrote their opinions or their facts and then catalogs that. It, it's very easy to take to a dark place, I think. Yeah. I, and I think so if, if people are going right. to try to do that. Yeah, you're right. I think you're right. And it was where in the in this uh, in New York Times piece, something he said was, you know, after playing around with this, I don't think this is ready for people. And then his next sentence was, or people aren't ready for it. And I, I think that that is, and this is not, again, this is in beta used by Microsoft, right? Like they're testing yeah. things out. So this isn't like the broad thing. But I think that that, I think exactly what you're saying is interesting. And we can, we don't have to go to the, this, this dark, dark place. But I just mean in general, you have, when it isn't a conversational tone that can feel like a human being, even if you don't say the dark things, like imagine a 14 year old just playing around with this and when you have an impressionable mind and the kinds of things that you like dark or not, like kinds of things you can think about doing. And, um, and I also think about, uh, what were those, what were those or are those things called that are like, uh, it's like all the challenges, you know, one was like the tie pod thing. There was like, I don't know, they're TikTok challenges, whatever. Oh they yeah. Were, yeah. You know, they're going on. Like you can say like AI come up with those kinds of things for, like a, a, taking an algorithm that's meant to uh, have folks engage with the product more and more frequently as the TikTok, Snapchats, metas, et cetera, are. And then you, you, you supercharge that. It just, it's a, it's an interesting technology. I think that has um, superhuman <laughs> capabilities, sub, sub, but, but also superhuman capabilities in some sense. It's just really fascinating. I hadn't thought about AI or this uh, implementation of AI being able to go down this road, um, which was interesting to me. And I'll what one, maybe last thing, I don't know if it's actually the last thing, but there was this summary of the weekly learnings that Microsoft put out. Yeah. That I also thought was like really interesting uh, and very well balanced. And one of the things that they said was in this process, we have found that in long extended chat sessions of 15 or more questions, Bing can become repetitive or be prompted slash provoked to give responses that are not necessarily helpful or in line with our design tone. And I appreciate from what they're saying here that it's it's ba it's basically being used in ways that they do not intend or as they state, uh, they did not even foresee it being used mm -hmm. and them saying like, what, what are the limitations we should be putting on this as we learn more about it? So that's nice work potentially there microsoft at least from what you put out on your blog yeah i'd wrap that topic with like clearly some easy safeguards could be added right if people are talking about depression or worse um maybe you immediately stop the chat and recommend resources that could help like i think it will get a lot better but yeah. i really just don't think people understand what they're dealing with all right two quick things from my fishbowl first is there was a survey for investing advisors. And what I found so interesting is they surveyed people on their impact on client loyalty. And Douglas, this is not about investing advisors at all. Uh, two of the things that had significant impact were basically 
quick response times. <laughs> so it's it's amazing to me. I think we forget this in business sometimes, but like to get fired by your client, one of the things you can do is not be responsive. It's not that hard to just prioritize um, your customers, internal or external. But this survey cracked me up because that was like a glowingly huge takeaway is be responsive to your clients. But the second <laughs> thing I found more interesting than that is yep. uh, the stock buyback uh, debate that continues. This mm. was mentioned by Munger. The reason this is a hot topic now is because after our legislators added a 1% tax last year in Biden's State of the Union, he said we should quadruple that tax to 4%. Jason Swag had an article that I th just think is awesome. And the title says it all. Stock buybacks aren't bad. They aren't good either. He walks through real life examples of when they have been portrayed as bad. Like when Lehman Brothers bought $2.6 billion of stock in 2007 and $1.5 billion in 2008 and then six months later uh, went bankrupt. Or when Citigroup spent $20 billion in share repurchases from 2004 to 2008 right before they got a $45 billion government bailout. That one's wild. So those are the things that get demonized. Bed Bath & Beyond is another one. But then he does the flip side of Exxon deciding not to buy back shares in the late 70s when they had excess profits and they tried to buy uh, office equipment company that went bust very quickly. They ran a Montgomery Ward department chain store. They made all these investments that were effectively them burning money when they should have given that money back to their shareholders. And then he references a study from folks at Cornell, MIT, and the University of Alabama that basically did this deep analysis of share repurchases and found exactly what his headline said. They don't really move the needle in any way. They don't increase executive compensation. Um, you know, the talking point is that CEOs make more money when they buy back their shares. They said possibly, but it's less than 1%. It's less than a 1% increase. Um, so it's just typical for Jason. It's so well-balanced. It talks about both sides. It's unemotional. And it says, this is worthless. Can we talk about something else? And I guess that's what I wanted to say. Can we please start talking about someone else, something else now? <laughs> Can I? <laughs> I didn't expect that close. <laughs> there, there are two other things I thought were interesting in, yeah. in this piece. One was he laid out how... There's a, there's a lot of talk around um, record share buybacks that are happening right now. And like, that's the headline that's being thrown out. And he's saying that when you look at that in absolute dollars might be true. But if you look at the relative value of buybacks to overall stock market value, it's actually not that high. So at least uh, historically speaking. And so I thought that that was one point that was really interesting. He said it's it's shrunk by half on a relative value from 1.3% back in 2007 to 0.7% uh, right now of market value is where buybacks are. So I thought that was one point that was interesting. Completely agreed. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, and the other one was, I liked how he said, he said in general, 
it isn't that companies invest less because they're doing buybacks. It's that they do buybacks because they have less to invest in. What he was saying here is that if you have a quote unquote like high growth company that has a lot of conviction in certain parts of its business that it wants to inject cash into, it's going to do that. And if a company doesn't see the the areas of its business that it wants to inject a good amount of cash in, then it's not going to do that. And it's going to look for other things to inject cash into. And one of those things is buybacks, right? I I think that, that was, that's like a really interesting take. Now, I, I especially like that throughout this piece, he says things like to get away from the hyperbole, right? He says things like in general, on average, right? Because there are some cases where buybacks are used as a weapon, just like anything. It's a tool mm-hmm. that you can use for any purpose. But he's saying in general, that's the case. And I really thought that was a good point too. Yes, completely agreed. Can I close out with the NFL? Please. Okay. National Football League of America. NFL, one of the top sports in this country is football. What this is saying, piece from 538, is saying, no, 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 not one of the top sports, but absolutely dominant sport is football. And then, and I I hadn't seen one, the, uh, the visuals in here I thought were pretty cool. And I just hadn't seen stats like this, uh, at least not recently. So I'm going to hit on a couple points that were brought up in this piece. It's called How Massive the NFL Really Is in Four Charts by Ryan Best in 538. So the first thing it's looking at is looking at the Super Bowl versus other championships and TV viewership in the United States from 1967 to 2022. So this is over a 45-year period, right? Or 55-year period, sorry, um, what this is looking at. And it shows that if you go back to near the beginning of this, roughly speaking, the World Series and the Super Bowl had about the same number of viewers, roughly speaking, right? Super Bowl was still higher, but you're looking yeah, at you're somewhere in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back, back near the beginning of this period. So like late 60s, 70s. And the World Series since then has been on a, a downward slope. Super Bowl has been an upward slope. So that right now, at least as of 2022, Super Bowl, roughly 100 million TV viewers, college football championship around 20 million. And then you've got the NBA championship uh, and the World Series at both around, I'll call it 15 uh, million viewers. That is such a huge disparity. I wouldn't have guessed that it was that big. I, I knew Super Bowl was bigger, but I would not have guessed that it was that big of a gap. The next thing it shows is it's saying, so that's just for the championship. So let's take championship aside and just look at what do people say their favorite sport to watch is. And so this goes from a little earlier, 1937 to 2017. So an 80 year period here. And it's a it's a survey that's been run consistently during that period and just said, what's your favorite sport to watch? If you go back to 1937, favorite sport to watch was baseball by far. And it looks like about uh, 40 to 50 percent of people roughly were saying that baseball is their favorite sport to watch. Now that has completely shifted. And now that's football. And the rest of the, the sports that are listed here, which are basketball, soccer, ice hockey, auto racing and figure skating. Um, are like split the other 50%, not evenly, but like split the other 50%. So it went from a place where it was obviously baseball is dominant to football being second in that list to football is dominant. And then everything else uh, is is kind of thrown in there. I thought this was a really interesting look uh, to see how dominant football is, especially because there's so much talk uh, and worthwhile talk about the physical damage, right? Mental damage that can be caused in football. And so with that comes along headlines of like, it's football in the decline. And whew, 
<laughs> this is an interesting look uh, at the answer to that question. Well, um, there's a dichotomy there that is fascinating. So participation rates in high schools throughout the country, uh, less so in the South and Southeast, but are down for yep, yep, like yep. the number of people that play football and down somewhat significantly. I'll have to pull those stats. But the popularity of the sport is as high as ever. So there's less, there's the pool of talent is less, but it's more popular than ever. It's fascinating. Douglas, do you see in like 2005 when figure skating was the fourth most liked yeah. sport in the country? It had its run and now it's not. Now it doesn't. Yeah. Well, it was, I, I thought that the fact that figure skating was even on this list. <laughs> It's a huge win. <laughs> was fascinating. But yeah, it, it exploded <laughs> for a period of time. And then, and then it, yeah, and then it was not so explosive anymore. Um, well, so currently we have football is the most popular, followed by basketball, baseball. And then it looks like soccer is actually making a run here. It's trying. It's trying. It's trying. And to your point, I do wonder if football, if it's going to be one of those things where football is extremely dominant and then given like the talent point, if if that extends, then it just like very much isn't. If there's kind of a, a generational cliff that hits, I wonder, as opposed to something more gradual. Well, the question is to me if uh, participation in your youth leads to fandom or not, right? Mm. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there will still be enough people because the paychecks are great to put on the TV show effectively. But will there be as many consumers of that content? I'm mm. not sure. But look at... Uh, if you go from 1960 to 1970 in this chart and look at baseball and football. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that's yeah, what a generation will do. So I guess that's when the Super Bowl, really, like the, the NFL and the Super Bowl really came about, right, at that point. So maybe that was part of it. We'll see. Yeah, they have uh, the third chart in this shows average attendance for the sporting events. It's a completely flawed chart, in my opinion, because the NFL only has like, 17 or 18 games effectively yeah yeah. and the other sports have significantly more than that so saying average attendance is something that you compare is not really relevant but um interesting they also talk about valuation and clearly because the nfl is the most consumed content it has the most valuable franchises always good stuff yep yep cool you got anything else listen all i have all i want in life is for you guys to vote Team Skippy or Team Dougals regarding copyright law for the Winnie the Pooh nonsense that's happening. Okay? That's all I want. <laughs> Email <laughs> skippydougals at gmail.com and we'll break down the results next time. Sounds good. Sounds good. I promise I will not try and sway. I'm not going to run any campaigns, no Google ads, nothing. I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> all, right. all right. Thanks, guys. 